It's 2022, and the year has started in a big way, all on today's episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greeting Geeks Watchers and welcome to episode 134 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher and with me as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrick. Hello, Brian. Well, welcome to 2022. Right. Things have started in a big way and we're both older now. Yes. We both had, both we, had birthdays. In mm-hmm. January. Yes. So early January birthdays. Yeah. So you're 29 now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. hmm Yeah. 20, mm-hmm. 29 in some 29. Yeah. And I'm 55. <laughs> How did I get to be that old? No. Good Lord. Uh, so I'm eligible for retirement, but uh, I think I'm going to stick around for a while. Mm-hmm. We were planning on taking a two-week break, and it turned into a three-week break because we got a snowstorm and watching the weather. We may wind up getting one next week, but hopefully we can. Oof, yeah. Hopefully it'll pass us by. Yes, the area that we're in has been hit rather fiercely with old man winter. Oh, yes. <laughs> But we'll certainly have a lot to keep us busy over the next few weeks and months because there's a lot to talk about. But we need to go back to a little bit of older business where we had left off from the last podcast, which during the time of our break, we got to see the final episode of Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did want to talk to you about that a little bit. And of course, spoilers for the whole season. But we finally got Wilson Fisk. Yes. And being a big fan of his from the Daredevil Netflix show, he's probably, mm-hmm. to my mind, one of the best, at least I would say top three, top two of Marvel Cinematic Universe villains. Okay. He's just amazing. Yeah. And he's a very nuanced character. Now, in Hawkeye, he was a little toned down as far as the background. Um, he didn't slam somebody's head into a car door, but he mm-hmm. did rip a car door off of its hinge. Yeah, that's what I didn't really, you know, I, I saw a little bit of Daredevil, but I didn't really get into it much. But from what I've, what I understood, it seems like he almost has superpowers. Well, he's stronger in the comics and I guess in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was played more realistically in the uh, Netflix series. But yeah, they strengthened him up a little bit and then they put Kate Bishop up against him which I was like oh this is not going to be good and it almost wasn't but it really gave her a chance to shine Mm -hmm. and fight somebody who was in a real sense if he had been interested in killing her it would have been pretty bad but she still held her own which was really impressive but Mm -hmm. there was just so many good things you you can talk for hours about this one episode yeah but i mean the entire series it's one of my favorites i'm not sure which one i like better hawkeye or loki i really loved loki Mm -hmm. i I was a big fan of wandavision i loved wandavision falcon and the winter soldier slash captain america and the winter soldier (laughs) television for marvel Marvel's on um, Disney Plus has been so fantastic. And this show introduced us to a new character that we're going to be seeing more of. It gave us a chance to see Yelena Mm -hmm. more, (laughs) and she was amazing. And seeing the fight between her and Kate was just... Oh, adorable. They're complimenting each other on their fighting style. And, and, oh, what was that flip-flop thing you did? Oh, it was fantastic. I loved it. It was like, don't make me like you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't help it. (laughs) So I would love to see them interact more. It was, mm-hmm. it was great. But I, I just really enjoyed the show from top to bottom. It mm-hmm. was fantastic. So the big reveal of that it being Clint's wife's watch. Yes. Uh, 
with that she was a shield agent does that still put her in the running for mockingbird or well another name for mockingbird in the comics was agent 19 okay and mm-hmm. 19 was the number that was on the back of the watch uh-huh okay so, yeah makes a lot of sense and it'll be interesting to see if they use her for anything in the mcu from this point forward but yeah it's great because you know for 10 plus years now she has been the most uh, understanding of spouses And it's never about, why are you away so long? She's just like, get your business done. And very understanding. That would usually be an easy cause of conflict between a married couple in a story. And they just didn't make that be a part of their their journey. So Obviously, she understands his side of the business because she's just as good at it, obviously, as he is. And she's really a good partner. I I think I've said this before on a podcast, but they, to my mind, are the perfect couple in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They are couple goals. Mm -hmm. I loved it. The whole Mm -hmm. kid and caboodle. And what's a bit heartbreaking now is that we do know that there are some Marvel shows in the future. We just don't have any dates yet. Mm Mm-hmm. So we all have to make do with some other stuff while we're waiting for the next Marvel show to announce. And mm-hmm. so I'm not sure when that's going to be because everything is pretty much to be announced at this point mm-hmm. and things are getting shuffled. They pushed the Morbius movie. They were getting ready to release it, but I guess because of COVID, they were worried they were going to have issues. Mm-hmm. Although for Spider-Man, that's not been a problem. <laughs> it's nope. still breaking records. Yeah. So... <laughs> One thing I did notice is there have been some tweaks to the movie. They've made a couple of changes. Really? Nothing major, but a couple of adjustments that you wouldn't really notice unless you're looking for them. So it's not really affecting the plot of the film, but mostly on the visual side to improve the visuals, which is... It's funny to me because, of course, back in the old days, you couldn't get away with something like that. You couldn't do it because you were on film. Obviously, you'd have to bring all the films back and and, and bring another one. It just wasn't worth your time. But with digital, you have the ability to tweak. And like I said, it wasn't something that was like a fault in the film. They just kind of fine-tuned a few things. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they really fine-tuned a bunch of stuff in Cats where they were making all kinds of edits because huh, yeah. we won't go into all of mm-hmm. that. But I'd forgotten about cats. Mm-hmm. I'd almost had, but <laughs> I reminded myself. and mm-hmm. Damn me. Damn me to hell for doing that. But I know that uh, you haven't had the chance to go out and see it yet, mm-hmm. but I, I can't wait to talk to you about it. But I did know that you did go see Nightmare Alley. Yeah. What did you think? I know I raved about it. Yeah, I don't even know how to like, was it good? I mean, it it was a wonderful film, but do you enjoy it? And is it something that can be enjoyed? You know, is it meant to be enjoyed? And it was really great to watch. And we were the only ones in the theater, so didn't Mm -hmm. get any good feedback to how the audience would have responded or anything. But visually, it was like watching Water for Elephants. They did that good traveling circus carnival kind of feel to it. And Then there were times when it felt like you were watching a Tim Burton Batman movie. Like, every time he went into the woman's office, it's Mm -hmm. always snowing. Every time. Yeah. There's snow outside the window every time he goes into her office. And it's dark, and it feels cold to watch. Yeah. So, yeah, it's something. Yeah, it's very interesting to me, and I I think I've said this before. It's a supernatural film with no supernatural elements. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it has that mood, but because of the subject matter. And it's a good example, I think, of how a lot of movies now, because of 
everything that we're going through, a lot of movies are willing to take chances. And we've talked about A24 and films that they're bringing out. There's a lot of weird films, a lot of experimental things. Mm-hmm. And we're getting a bigger palette of films. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of just really interesting things going on in cinema right now, which is just amazing. But I am going to talk about a movie that's not quite as amazing that I saw, which was the new Matrix film. Oh, uh uh-oh. I don't think you've seen it. Uh Uh-uh, no. But it's been out for a little while. I didn't go to the theater to see it. I stayed at home to watch it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I find the movie interesting. If that's a word for it, Mm -hmm. because it's not a typical film and it's not trying to do what typical films do. Okay. And if you've seen a lot of the reviews, they're very mixed. Okay. Um, Most Matrix fans hate this film. Oh, okay. They do not like it at all. And in a real sense, I don't like it at all either. And I would never watch it again. Mm -hmm. I also feel that if you like this movie... You've missed the point of this movie. Mm, This is not a movie that was meant to be liked. All right. This was a movie making a statement, and it made that statement really well. Being entertaining was not part of what this movie was trying to do. Oh. uh It was, I hate to even say meta, because everybody is saying meta about this film, but it's meta to a fault. It comments on itself constantly, (laughs) and the world in general. There's a point where they even mention Warner Brothers by name in the film. Huh. Now, in the story, The Matrix is a video game and not a movie, although you see scenes from the movie as, which I assume were to be cut scenes from the video game, but mm-hmm. it, you know, cinematic mm-hmm. cut scenes. You have Thomas Anderson back, who in this world is a video game designer who designed this game called The Matrix, and it was supposed to be a self-contained game, but the software company, Warner Brothers, wanted him to make more games. He ma- he didn't really want to make them, but he made them. And now they're bringing him back to make this new Matrix game. Huh. And he's told by his boss, look, you know, you don't have to work on it, but they're just going to give it to somebody else if you don't. Okay. And you're like, oh, okay, I know um, what what's if, going on here. What if they ruin it? Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, so that's uh-huh. basically This is Lana a movie Lukowski. outside of the Matrix movies. Right. Yeah, it's so not it's, a sequel. It isn't, but, and we're going to go into spoilers, it Mm -hmm. isn't, but it is, because, yes, they are part of the Matrix. Okay. So they find out the Matrix is real, and so most of what this movie is about is about attacking Warner Brothers for making them make this movie. (laughs) It's about attacking the fans that have an attachment. Obsessed over. That that have obsessed over this film. Mm -hmm. And it very much lampshades every criticism you could possibly have about this film. So anything you'd be like, oh, this it's like this movie, or it's just like that movie, or talk about sequels. They literally have people talking about what you would be talking about watching this film. <laughs> and going, oh, you know, God, that's stupid. <laughs> so they're constantly lampshading it. They're gaslighting the fans in it. And it basically, this is a movie about how Lana Wachowski didn't want to make this movie, <laughs> thinks this movie should have never been made. <laughs> That's what the movie's about, really. And that's why I said that if you like this movie, you've missed the point of this movie. Mm -hmm. It's not a movie that was meant to be enjoyed as an entertainment. It was not supposed to be a spiritual uh, sequel to anything. Mm -hmm. In a real sense, it's just a retelling of The Matrix with some changes. They brought the characters back, and they explain how this is like a sequel and why 
Neo wound up back in the Matrix, but it doesn't feel like a Matrix movie. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the fight scenes are really sloppy, mm-hmm. which one thing about the Matrix was the fact that the fight scenes were really good and very mm-hmm. crisp and well rehearsed. And a lot of the fight scenes are pretty pedestrian and mm-hmm. they're shaky cam, which you never had before. Mm-hmm. And some people have said, well, you know, Keanu Reeves, he's not as young as he used to be. But I also say uh, to them, John Wick. Okay, (laughs) He's better at fight scenes now than he was when he did The Matrix. So (laughs) I don't think that was it. Mm -hmm. But again, I can't really criticize Lana Wachowski for this because I think this is what she was trying to do Mm -hmm. in the first place. She wasn't trying to make a good film. She was trying to make a statement that this film should have never been made in the first place. (laughs) And she succeeded. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess we got to applaud her for it, <laughs> for doing that, because mm-hmm. she, she did it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of your saying about The Matrix is, uh, a lot of it is the movie Don't Look Up on Netflix. Do you know about this movie? Yes, I do. I mean, everything you're saying about it is like, you know, it wasn't meant to be entertaining. It it was all criticism and all satire. And, yeah. you know, that's exactly what... <laughs> yeah, this movie was uh-huh. meant to lampoon itself and the, mm-hmm. its very existence. So, like I said, it's like, it's not what I wanted in a Matrix movie, mm-hmm. but... Like I said, I have to applaud Lana Wachowski for making exactly what she wanted to make. So, kudos. But at the same time, I don't find a lot of entertainment in watching somebody else complain about how Hollywood is. (laughs) And how crappy everything is. And making a critique of Hollywood when that's not what I wanted to watch in this film. Mm -hmm. Now, again... Anything that I would have said that I wanted this movie to be, of course, was lampooning the whole film. (laughs) So everything about the film, even like the philosophical underpinnings of the film, they lampoon all of that as well. So Mm. it's very much like, um, and I've heard this compared, uh, Gremlins compared to Gremlins 2, where Mm -hmm. Gremlins 2 was a commentary on the first Gremlins movie. Mm -hmm. This is a lot like that as well. So I can definitely see that. So if you want a Matrix movie, this is not what this is for. But it's very successful in what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's just not what you're expecting. Okay. So I did also want to talk about the Doctor Who New Year special. Mm-hmm. I do want to say, first of all, that I was pleasantly surprised with it. Okay, it was a, good. It was a continuation of Flux. There were some things involved in Flux that played out into the special. It turned into a little bit of Groundhog Day, where mm-hmm. you're repeating the same yep. moment over Trying and over. Trying to get it right. They did lampshade that in the show by mentioning Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. But they did do something interesting with it. When you start over, you start over a minute later. And oh, so... so you're losing. Mm-hmm. You're losing a minute. They started out at eight minutes to midnight. And so you have this moment where everybody pretty much gets killed off, and then it starts over, but you're starting over at seven minutes to midnight. So you get the ticking clock. It's not like, well, we're just going to keep doing this over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. Time is running out. And you remember what you've done in the past, but the villains, the Daleks, they also remember. Mm -hmm. And so they adjust their strategy compared to what they think the Doctor's going to do. I have to say, it's a nice twist on it. And... It does manage to make the Daleks a bit scary, which they haven't been in a long time. (laughs) So I I enjoyed the heck out of that. And it's a very good show for being a compact show. It was definitely filmed the way that it was because of Corona 
got a very small cast. Bottle episode. It's definitely a bottle episode. Yep. That, mm-hmm. That's the whole premise of it is because nobody can leave this building. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly going through doing similar things over and over again. But there was one piece about this that I did want to talk to you about. And this is kind of a spoiler, but it's something that I've heard a lot of discussion about, which is Yaz's relationship with the doctor, mm-hmm. which they're now making more romantic. Oh. Hmm. And I'm not exactly sure how I feel about that. I, I am a traditionalist to some degree where I... I think giving the doctor close relationships mm-hmm. is not the best thing. You don't want the Rose Martha jealousy kind of yeah, stuff exactly. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of that. Although I also have to admit, River Song, I enjoyed the heck out of that. Mm-hmm. Alex Kingston was great. That character was just amazing. Mm-hmm. The way she played off with Matt Smith was great, and even that one time when she played off of Peter Capaldi in that mm-hmm. Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. Back when we had Christmas episodes, and they were beautiful, and they made you cry, and Mm -hmm. that one was definitely one of them, because it has one of the most beautiful endings of Doctor Who there ever was. Mm -hmm. But now that you have this thought of Yaz has fallen in love with the Doctor, and it looks like the Doctor may reciprocate to some degree, it's not that I don't want some gay relationship in Doctor Who or something like that, and I don't think it's what they would call queer baiting. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's not a matter of they're making it look like there's a relationship there and then there's not going to be one. And they're like, oh, we never meant that in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's none of that. For me, it's kind of strange to do it now because although you could say in flux, maybe there was a hint of it. Mm -hmm. Yaz really did miss the doctor, but that doesn't mean relationship outside of like a deep friendship or anything like that. But I think what bothers me about this is you're bringing this relationship in, but you don't really have a whole lot of time to explore it because you've only got two specials, mm-hmm. and then that's it. Well, if, I was thinking if we keep Yaz on after the regeneration, is she going to be okay with the next regeneration? Is that going to be a plot point? I think back to you know back in the 90s when we had Star Trek The Next Generation. And there was the episode with the doctor fell in love with an alien mm-hmm. and then found out the alien was a symbiote and it needed to be transferred into a new body and she couldn't handle the new body was a different gender. Right. Going to Deep Space Nine, they ran into that same situation where you had Judzia Dax who married Worf and then mm-hmm. died. And so Dax had a new symbiote, Ezri Dax who was a completely different person mm-hmm. who didn't have any respect for Klingon tradition and thought they were, it was dumb, but was supposed to be the same person. So, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense, it was kind of like it turned it, uh, they turned into an ex. Mm-hmm. It was like, this was the person I married, but not really. Yep. Somebody completely different. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I never watched Deep Space Nine, so that's, that's a... Yeah, so they explored that. And, of course, you, you ran into the situation, obviously, in, in Doctor Who when Matt Smith regenerated into Peter Capaldi and you had Clara who did have romantic feelings for Matt Smith's doctor mm-hmm. but didn't for Peter Capaldi's doctor mm-hmm. and their relationship developed in a different way so yeah I mean it's nothing new to Doctor Who for sure it's just that for me it's kind of odd to do it now when it, it doesn't feel like it's going to be able really to go anywhere mm-hmm. because to be honest the fact that 
the BBC is getting out of the Doctor Who business except for distribution, and the keys are being handed over to Bad Wolf, it seems logical to me that you're going to have like a completely clean slate. Nothing is really going to remain from Jodie Whittaker's era, that mm-hmm. they're going to just wipe everything clean and just start over, which is going to, uh, you know, to me, it's it means that the the whole thing between the Doctor and Yaz doesn't really get a chance to go anywhere unless they decide to do like what they did with Matt Smith, where they're going to have a period of time off camera where they age mm-hmm. and spend time together. Uh, and there's other times when stuff like that's happened at Doctor Who that Maybe they have a moment where they... Pocket the, universe. <laughs> yeah, pocket universe, or there's just stuff going... Because, I mean, in Flux, when Flux started out, it was obvious that the Doctor and Yaz had been traveling for a while. And so there are a lot of adventures that they had that we never got to see between the last season and mm-hmm. Flux. Mm-hmm. So perhaps we'll wind up with that situation. Mm-hmm. That opens it up for uh, novelizations and radio shows. Yeah, uh, <laughs> big finish. Yeah, yeah. Very possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I said... I wish that if they were going to go down this road, they would have started it a little bit earlier and developed it more. Mm -hmm. But then again, going back to what I've said before about Flux is that there was a ton of stuff that was trying to be crammed into a very small space. And perhaps there was some of that development that just either never got filmed or wound up on the cutting room floor Mm. because they were trying to develop way too much. But I will say Eva the Daleks was a pretty good show for like the one shot it, i feel like it was a better episode although let's be honest flux really did set the bar kind of low <laughs> so it didn't take a lot but it was a complete story it didn't have a ton of threads running through it it wasn't a convoluted story it was very simple easy to understand what was going on and it had a lot of really clever things in it that i liked and I enjoyed it. I think anybody who's criticizing this show and saying, well, it's just as bad as Flux, I think that's just haterade because it, mm-hmm. to me it really wasn't. One last thing to talk about, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't even ask you if you've seen this yet, but I had to think about this, and it's like, do we really want to do like a weekly on this? And I think that we do. I think we do have to. Okay. And so that means i got to play some music. If you know you're smiling about it, yes, I'm talking about Peacemaker. Which, oh. Which you, oh, see, I see. I, ha- I haven't seen it, you know, put that out there first, but uh, it's on my list. I want to see it, yes. So this week we got the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. Now, they're going to be eight total. Now, do I need to watch The Suicide Squad first? Yes, please. Okay, I will. Yeah, yeah, okay. you definitely. Because it looks like something that, you know, yay. Right, so. Uh, James Gunn is writing and directing all the episodes, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. awesome. To go back to what had actually happened before, what developed with The Suicide Squad and the series, James Gunn was working with Marvel. There was this issue with some tweets they were working on trying to cancel him. Mm -hmm. Marvel basically wound up firing him. Warner Brothers hired him. So we got The Suicide Squad, Mm -hmm. and because of what happened in The Suicide Squad, the way Peacekeeper came out as uh, as a character, they decided to do a Peacemaker series, 
And none of this would have happened if it wasn't for the fact that James Gunn had been fired from Marvel for a time. So so now we get some awesome yeah. DC. And so yay, mm -hmm. cancel culture, I guess, maybe? And I am absolutely loving, you know, what DC's got going on over at HBO. You know, I'm loving Titans and uh, could just go on forever about the Doom Patrol. And uh, Oh, yes, and amazing. <laughs> yeah. Right, and so I have no doubt. Yeah. I have no doubt. I have been accused in the past of being a Marvel fanboy. <laughs> and so if I ignored this show, it would be very difficult for me to say, oh, no, I'm not a Marvel fanboy. Because <laughs> this is one of the best shows I've ever seen. It mm -hmm. is amazing. And, of course, the theme song for the TV show, first of all, the opening sequence is one of the most batshit uh -huh. crazy things <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And... Before you leave, I am going to show you it because okay. it's so crazy, first of all. With it, that great 1980s, yeah. uh, you're the best around kind of. Yes, <laughs> it has that feel. It's basically a dance sequence. Oh, yes. James Gunn did an 80s dance sequence with all the characters. Oh. in, the, And that's what opens the show every time. Do so, you think it's on Danny the Street? <laughs> well, here's the thing. When I first heard it, I was like, I mean, this is like the perfect kind of 80s hair metal mm -hmm. kind of anthem that... I have the tiger, it, you're the best around. Uh, exactly. Every montage you could think of. There it is. Yeah, but it has these crazy lines like, throw your dog the invisible bone. And it's like, what the <laughs> heck does that mean? It's great because it has that feel for the 80s hair band, but it's also this really weird word soup. That uses all the phrases you would expect in one of these inspirational power mm -hmm. ballads, but it doesn't really make that much sense. Like and Blinded I, by the Light. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I wanted to find out where this song came from. I was thinking, James Gunn, did he write this song and then get somebody to do the music? I was really curious about this parody of a song. And it's not a parody. It's the real legit song. Really? It's done by a band from Norway called Wigwam. Now, that's mm -hmm. Wigwam with a space, not to be confused uh, with the Finnish band Wigwam, no space. Or the tent made out of animal skins? <laughs> yeah, totally different. Okay. But uh, apparently back in the 2000 aughts, I think it was 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. this band Wigwam appeared on Eurovision and was a Eurovision contestant. And they made a bunch of songs, and this was one of them. This is like a weird deep cut you know, I don't know how James Gunn even found it. Uh -huh. And it is a weird word soup of a song because obviously, being from Norway, English is not their native language. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, well, that's where uh, Not My Circus, Not My Monkeys, that was originally Swedish, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yay. <laughs> so, it's perfect for the show. It was funny because there was a comment was made, I think, by John Cena that this was going to be the first time in history where people weren't going to be hitting the skip intro button. Mm -hmm. And he was right, because I didn't. Because every time this thing comes on, but I, I got to see it again. I got to watch this because so it's so crazy. Is it a dance that TikTok can pick up and turn into a challenge? Yes, very All right. much. They absolutely could Let's do this. Let's see it. Let's yeah. see it. I mean, like I said, it starts out with this crazy dance intro, and then it goes into the weirdest stuff ever. Now, of course, James Gunn started out with Troma Films and he was doing Guardians of the Galaxy. He's done horror films. He's done all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. So this is literally Warner Brothers saying to James Gunn, here's your carte blanche. Mm -hmm. You can do anything that mm -hmm. you want. <laughs> and there are just moments where your jaw just hits the ground. You cannot believe you're seeing what you're seeing. 
But, oh my God, the character development in the show so far is just great. And the show is starting out with what I call a binge weekly hybrid, where they give you... This was the first week, and they gave you the first three episodes. Okay. And from this point on, you're just getting one a One week. episode. Mm-hmm. One episode a week. But you get that ability to binge the first three, and I did. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing that they didn't give me all of them, because I'd be done with them by now, and, <laughs> I'd, and I'd be sleepy, mm-hmm. because I would not have slept. Mm-hmm. It, this is infinitely watchable television, but oh my God, where they go with everything. Okay. The language is really salty. I'll eh. just give you that right now. And there's stuff in the show I did not expect to see. But there's a lot of stuff being developed, which is really fascinating. And again, I don't really want to spoil anything for the Suicide Squad Mm -hmm. for you because you haven't seen that yet. Well, I saw James Gunn in an interview talk about, you know, when he was talking about where he got the idea for, for doing a Peacemaker series, was there was a scene where Peacemaker is going to kill someone. And I'm not going to say who. People who've seen the movie, they know who I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. He was going to kill this young woman. Mostly Peacemaker was developed. I'm not going to say like a two-dimensional character because James Gunn doesn't do that. He's very much, I think as as far as Quentin Tarantino, he's very similar to him in that he can take like a very mundane conversation and make it absolutely fascinating, which Mm -hmm. he does in The Suicide Squad and he does in Peacemaker. Oh, and he also, needless to say, takes a lot of older music and puts that in his movies to great effect, which he's done in the Suicide Squad and he again does with Peacemaker because Peacemaker is all about those 80s hair band anthems. <laughs> well, Ballroom Blitz is always a great fight song. so Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so basically in the Suicide Squad, Peacemaker is going to kill someone. And the way James Gunn wrote it, this was going to be business as usual. There wasn't any depth to it. It was just... It had to be done, and so he was going to do it, right? But there's this moment where you see a little bit of regret in Peacemaker's eyes, which comes directly from John Cena. There wasn't any kind of a direction in the script. James Gunn was watching him play it, and the way he decided to play it was he knows he has to do this, but there's regret in doing it, and so there's a depth to it. And he was like, that's interesting. And so in a real sense, John Cena elevated that character in the movie. Mm-hmm. And and that was just one of the ways that he did it. I wouldn't necessarily call John Cena's casting as Peacemaker stunt casting. Because to me, stunt casting is where you already have a preconceived notion of, of a character. And then the actor comes in and plays that character perfectly. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people had any kind of idea about Peacemaker at all. It's just that the way John Cena plays him makes him fantastic to a point where... You're not going to get another actor to play Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Cena's Peacemaker forever, just the same way as Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool forever. Right. Mm-hmm. To play Peacemaker, you have to be brave as all get out. And John Cena is willing to do anything in this show. I mean, <laughs> and he is being asked to do some really crazy things. Okay. But he's absolutely just no fear. He just goes full tilt boogie on this thing. And it's just fantastic. Like I said, I'm, I don't want to go into a whole lot of plot details about the show, but oh my God, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely amazing. We've seen the first three episodes, which has really developed the narrative that's going to carry the show from this point forward. Also, how big a problem this thing is going to be. Mm-hmm. But you also get introduced to all these wonderful new characters that you only saw glimpses of okay. in the Suicide Squad. And you're getting to see all of them really develop. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thing James Gunn does really well with his characters is he gives everybody a moment to shine. And there's all these questions about all these different characters about, okay, so where's this going to go? They're all, in a real sense, getting these character arcs. Even Peacemaker, who, mm. honestly, this character was developed to be pretty much a straightforward character and just the way John Cena played him in The Suicide Squad and now in Peacemaker, he's a very nuanced character. A nuanced character that has absolutely no business being a nuanced character. (laughs) But probably one of the best superhero shows on television. And the thing about it is, of course, when you have shows like The Boys, where they have deconstructed the superhero genre, it takes something special for a show that's doing essentially the same thing and elevate it to its own show, that it's not derivative of everything that's come before it. It has something new and fresh to say about it. Mm-hmm. And this show does. It really does. So this is definitely something I'm going to enjoy talking to you about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. And so with that said, we come to the end of episode 134. Thank you for listening and tune in next time for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch podcast. From Andy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.